I Read Comics, episode number four. Yes, it's another comics podcast, and the big difference is, I'm doing it, and I'm a girl. That's right, a girl that reads comics. My name is Lena Taylor, and I read comics. Hey, welcome back. Sorry this has taken me so long to get out, but um, I was trying to get ready to go to Comic-Con, which is in a couple of days, and also I'm doing this show from the road. Uh, I'm in Dallas. I just got here a little while ago for work. Um, I actually have to go out in a little bit and uh, go to a focus group to listen to people talk about the meaning of life and uh, why Cisco routers are so important to them. So that's what I'll be doing. My ride from the airport was intensely weird. I got on a shared ride van that looked like a regular van, and when I opened the door, it was packed with ten of these business guys in white shirts, and they were the loud high-five and white guys kind of business guys, and me, and our Pakistani driver. And he drove at like 200 miles an hour to get here, and I was terrified. And as soon as I got in, I had to take a shower to wash off all the testosterone. But I'm better now, and I'm relaxing in my room before I have to go out to the focus groups. So that's what I'm doing. I'll be going to Comic-Con. The next show will actually be from Comic-Con, and it will feature our very special guest, uh, the composing diva herself, Ginger Mayerson, who does the wonderful music that starts and ends the show, and the incidental music as well. And I think we'll do that on Saturday night after we've been at Comic-Con and uh, met my brethren from Comic Geek Speak and seeing what there is to see, and then we're going to have dinner and go see the Fantastic Four movie, so we'll probably talk about that as well. So I've got a couple things I want to talk about. I did want to say um, say thank you for all the comments that I've been getting at ireadcomics.blogspot.com. It's wonderful to know that people are actually listening. Um, somebody asked me, where's the feed, and I finally posted it, so it's up there now. If you want to get the XML feed, it's up in the right-hand corner of the sidebar. And somebody else asked me if they could get a subscription through iTunes. And let me just say, I wish I submitted these feeds to iTunes like two fucking weeks ago, and they still haven't done anything about it yet. And I'm really rather annoyed. I tried to resubmit it last night. It said, oh, sorry, your feed's already been submitted. So I don't know what the hell to do about that. If anybody has any suggestions, I would love to hear them. But it's not up yet, unfortunately. Um, So I'll let you know when I think it is up, but it's not up yet. So today I wanted to talk about a couple of new things, or new old things. So the first is, of course, the next Chronicles of Conan, which I got and read and digested, and I've got a few things to say about that. I also wanted to talk about another cool, uh, not web comic, it's a a web animation more than anything else that's called Red versus Blue. You might know about it, but I think it's really cool. And then uh, a few other little uh, things I wanted to pass along. So let's take a quick break and we'll start talking about Conan.
So, back to Conan the Supermodel. Hope you're not tired of me talking about this. I, I realized as I keep getting these books that uh, I, of course, have a Conan fetish, and I always did, and I just forgot about it in the time between when I stopped being interested in the Marvel comics and when I got these books again, and it's really nice to get them and relive all the excitement. So this particular one is Chronicles of Conan, Volume 3, published by Dark Horse, and it collects seven different books, um, 14, 15, and then 17 through 22. They were published in 72, 73. And this book is not all Barry Smith. Most of them are, but there are two issues in here that were drawn by Gil Kane because Barry Smith had one of several nervous breakdowns and was not in any shape to be doing a comic book. So it's this kind of odd mixture of what we've been seeing all along from Barry Smith. And then right in smack in the middle come these two issues drawn by Gil Kane, and then it's back to Barry Smith again. So I want to talk a little bit about the Gil Kane stuff, but the the first two stories in here are some of the best, and I can't believe I forgot that they existed. I just totally spaced on the fact that these were even in there. And this was a crossover between Conan, who was created by Robert E. Howard, and Elric of Melnibone, which is a character created by Michael Moorcock. And he had written a number of novels, and I think he's continued to write novels about that character. And according to Roy Thomas, he Roy Thomas was inspired to have this crossover and wrote to Moorcock and said, is this okay? And he said, yep, and threw together a plot line, and that inspired this uh, two-parter that was in here. And it's really cool. It's really, really cool. Elric as a character is very, very different from Conan. He's like the anti-Conan. And if you haven't read the books, I would strongly suggest that you go and read them because they're the first um, five, which you can get in a box set, I think they're White Wolf published, the ones I have, are really good. They're short. They're full of action and they're full of magic and craziness. And Elric himself, although he has a sword and he fights people a lot, is this skinny albino guy who's a wizard, he has magic. The world of Melnibone is filled with magic. There's magic all around. And to see him paired up with Conan is really interesting. Of course, when they first meet, they're fighting each other because they don't trust each other. And then they decide to be allies in common cause. And that's where things really get started. And I just... Okay, so Elric has a stupid hat, and Roy Thomas explains that the hat he's wearing, it's like a dunce cap, was because Barry Smith hadn't read the books and was working off of the cover of the American paperback edition of uh, the Elric novels, and that was done without Michael Moorcock's supervision, so he has a stupid hat. But aside from the stupid hat, he actually looks pretty cool, and uh, Elric has a magic sword called Stormbringer, which is black, and it absorbs the souls of the enemies that he kills. And the sword looks pretty good. I know some people complained about the fact that it wasn't black-black, that it was more purpley-black or blue-black, and okay, yeah, it is, but it's still really cool, and there's a couple of panels where you actually see him absorbing the souls of his enemies, and it looks pretty cool. So I like having Elric there. And, of course, he talks differently than Conan does, and and that's interesting, too. Um, The other way that those two characters are really different is that um, Elric's whole world is made up of magic and deceit and treachery and people stabbing each other in the back figuratively and literally and all this jockeying for power and that's his whole existence and Conan by contrast is just this guy he's always referring to the fact that he's a barbarian he's not civilized he's the fish out of water and his reactions to what goes on around him the way he 
interacts with other people is very honest. Everything about him is totally honest. Of course, he lies sometimes to get what he wants to, but his basic instincts are always to get at the truth and, and to see what the honesty of the situation is. And he definitely recognizes that in Elric, that um, this guy is, is just totally obsessed with his own personal world and whatever he can do to get ahead. So I, I like that dichotomy. I think it's interesting to pair those two guys. It's a shame that they never did more of it, but I guess they just didn't have time for it. Um, visually, they're also really interesting. Um, I'm looking at the pictures of Elric, and he's not drawn especially skinny, but he's wearing clothes that cover his entire body except for his face, as opposed to Conan, who's only wearing a pair of boots and his little um, bearskin loincloth thing that he always has on. So it's neat to see the two of them together, one who's just Conan is so big and muscular and not wearing very much. And then Elric, who's much more delicate and is just wearing these long um, boots that come they're They're like thigh high boots. And then he's got these long gloves and the hat and the cloak and everything. It's, it's a nice contrast between them. The other thing that's really good about this story are um, the bad guys and the plot of this story, the reason that Elric is here in the first place is that in Conan's world, um, a powerful magician under the uh, guidance of another god has decided to raise from suspended animation, more or less. I was going to say raised from the dead, but she's a goddess, so she can't really be dead. Um, a, a, an ancestor of Elric, and Elric has come to this world to see this happen and to ask her for a favor, and we don't find out what that is until the very end. And... Um, Conan is there because he's just kind of riding along and he sees a woman that he knows from a previous issue and wants to help her, meets her father who's a sorcerer and kind of gets roped into doing this for the greater good, essentially. Um, the, so the bad guy is this goddess who gets raised from suspended animation and her name is Terhali and she's a green empress and I just love the way Barry Smith has drawn her. She is really green all over and she's wearing... Um, this cloak and then some kind of filmy thing and she's very sensual looking but she's really mean looking she's got instead of a kind of tiara around her head or a circlet it's got spikes on it gold spikes and she's got one around her neck as well and she's got big clouds of green hair and she kind of floats up in the air and kills people indiscriminately and um when she thinks she's in charge, she says, you three I'll let live as the first of my slaves. So she's clearly used to having people underneath her. And the climactic point is when um, the woman that Conan knows, who is Zephra, the daughter of a magician, um, is selected to fight her. And there's a fight scene between the two of them. So you have the green goddess on one side, and then you have Zephra, who has been chosen by the gods on the other side to be the instrument to fight Terhali. And she gets turned into a, a blue-white flame creature. She's not a human anymore. And there's these wonderful panels, and I've actually scanned some so you can see them, of the two of them fighting. And there are two that just stand out. There's one where uh, Zephra, blue-white flame, grabs Terhali's throat, and Terhali is just, you just see her face and her mouth is open, and she looks so pissed off that she cannot believe that this is happening, that some being has actually grabbed her around the throat, and she looks scared and pissed off at the same time. It's like, it's amazing. It's so good. And then, of course, I'm not giving anything away here, but she dies. <laughs> Zephyr kills her. And the scene where she does that is really amazing. These beams shoot out of her eyes and kind of blow Terhali away, literally. And if you look at the picture, her body is dissolving as if there's a, a strong 
wind blowing her backwards and she's kind of being torn to pieces and you can see her hair is coming apart and her jewelry's flying off and her clothes are flying off and she just dies. It's really, really great art. So these are the things that I, I like about Barry Smith's art is that he can draw these scenes and make them look unique and scary and realistic at the same time. Uh, you know, obviously this doesn't happen, but if it did happen, I think this is the way it would look. <laughs> I really do. His art has so much more in common with the way the Prince Valiant comics were drawn in the Sunday paper for years and years than it does with, I, I would say, most Golden Age or Silver Age comic book artists. There is such an amount of detail given to the characters. He really focuses on their faces, the way their faces look, and their body language. It's not about how they move, but it's more about how they stand and their attitude, which is all conveyed in hands and body posture more than anything else. He was just a master at that, and it really, really works in the, the Conan comics. So we go from that, which is a two-parter, into the next story. And i got to say, Roy Thomas did a really good job of continuing the continuity. So even though these stories are self-contained, it, they might spill over from one issue to the next. He does try to, to kind of make it realistic, like, okay, Conan finishes this adventure, and then he goes from here to here, and then he gets in a boat, and he goes from here to here. That's really nice. Um, so this one, you open it up, and immediately you know it's not Barry Smith, and you look at it and go, wow, this is somebody else drawing it. And it's Gil Kane, who was uh, a wonderful artist and did a lot of work for Marvel and DC also, um, most famously for uh, Green Lantern. He had a really long run of Green Lantern and other things, and continued drawing up until his death, which was just a couple of years ago. And when you look at this, the first thing that struck me about it is that the kind of characterization that I was just talking about that Barry Smith does is really not here. There's a lot of motion. If you look at the panels, there's almost in every panel, there's motion. Either people are walking or the ship is going through the water or people are doing something. Um, there's a fight with a shark. Very action-packed. But I think with the action-packedness of it, you lose the finer details. So I'm going to say, I know Gil Kane, wonderful artist. I love him. I think he was totally the wrong guy to be drawing Conan. It just doesn't fit with what Barry Smith had been creating so far to this. Um, Conan looks like a superhero. He doesn't look really like Conan anymore. Gil Kane's way of drawing people in action is very stylized. It's very particular to him. Like if you see his guys, you go, oh yeah, that's the way he draws it. They're very loose-limbed. Um, their legs especially seem out of proportion to the rest of their bodies because they're really long. And when he draws fight scenes or people swimming with each other, um, I'm looking at the scene with Conan and, and uh, some other folks in the ocean with the, the shark. It's very fluid looking. They almost look like ballet dancers. And it's it's kind of beautiful in that way. But it's also very superheroish in that way. They, he's swimming and he looks like he's flying. He doesn't really look like he's swimming. And the waves don't really look like waves that you would actually see. That element of realism that Barry Smith had is just missing from this. Um, the faces are just not as well drawn. I've actually scanned one image of Conan in here to illustrate what I don't like about the way he draws the faces in this particular comic. Gil Kane tends to do a perspective from below. So when you're looking at characters' faces, you get... Um, the bottom of their noses. And I just don't like that. I don't think it's attractive. Um, I know that I've gone on a lot about how 
Barry Smith drew Conan as a supermodel, which I really like because I think if you're going to draw a guy who runs around in a little bearskin um, loincloth, he should be very sensual looking. And Conan absolutely is the way Barry Smith draws him. In this, he he's lost that completely. He's not sensual. Um, there's implied sex that that hasn't happened yet, but is going to happen. But I don't find Gil Kane's characters sensual looking or feeling. There's a woman in here too, who's the one of the pivotal characters and you know she's drawn like a superhero woman she has a little tiny waist and big tits and she's wearing next to nothing but she's not a very sensual looking character to me she looks kind of like a barbie doll um and and she's just not really appealing in that way despite the fact that you know she's not wearing very much so i think sometimes there is a trade-off in comics between um a certain style, and I think Gil Kane's style is a good example of it, that focuses more on the action and the, the stylization and um, comic book conventions about the way things are drawn in the panels. Gil Kane's style also is also um, very much short panels. So if I look at a page, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, any given page might have nine separate panels that are really small. These are probably... Um, an inch and a half. So you can't have very much in it as opposed to Smith's panels, which are sometimes huge. I mean, he'll do a page that has one panel or two panels or, you know, maybe three, and they're always really interestingly done. Um, so when you go with that superhero-y style, you, you lose some of, of the detail. And when you go for the detail, you do lose more of the action. And I'm sure people think that a lot of the Barry Smith stuff is just overdrawn. You know, why does he put so much detail in here? You don't really need it. And that's absolutely true. You don't need it. But I, I think it adds to the texture of it. I don't find that Gil Kane's art has a lot of texture to it. It, it seems very flat to me. And for some things, that's probably really appropriate. For Conan, I just don't think it works. So we have those two stories, and then we come back, and yay, we're back in the Barry Smith world again. And I scanned in um, this amazing image that he drew of Conan pulling himself up onto a boat, which is actually the cover of this book. And oh my god, it's so beautiful. Even Roy Thomas commented on it and said, you can just hear the waves slapping against the water and smell the salt air. It's just so well done. You have to just stare at it, look at it. and there's some really touching stuff that happens in these stories. Conan loses a friend. He doesn't often have friends. And he makes a friend, and his friend gets killed at some point. Um, there are some monsters in it, which are pretty cool. And uh, there's a lot of action that, that happens of uh, supernatural type, which I think is pretty good. So I'm glad we were back to Barry Smith. Of course, we know it's not going to last very long because he didn't stay on the comic for that much longer. Um, I think the last story in here is probably significant. It's called The Monster of the Monoliths because Conan loses his bearskin loincloth and picks up um, a little skirt instead, which looks kind of cute on him. Um, Talking about attention to detail, I have to mention one other thing, and and I can see that this is totally a Barry Smith thing. In one of this series of stories, uh, Conan is supposed to be in this very southerly place where it's hot, and he's up on the ship and he's sweating, and the guy who's in charge says, it's your hair, it's too long, and he ties it back. And this whole scene of him tying his hair back, and then he's got his hair pulled back in this little ponytail for the rest of the um, story is cool. It's just a small detail, but it makes him look a little bit different. And every time you see him and you see that he doesn't have his black hair kind of flowing around his shoulders, you remember why he did that. 
So it plays into the story. It reminds you of where he is. It, it shows you that he's changing his look a little bit. You know, he's he's growing up a little bit more. I think um, he was supposed to be about 18 or 19 when they started this series, and it's clear that a couple of years have passed. So he's maturing. He's filling out a little bit, and it's nice to see that they add in a detail like that. So what else can I say? Uh, these books are great. Uh, of course, as I said before, in some panels, the color reproduction just sucks. It sucks big red rocks. And I scanned one image that I thought was a good example of the way it does suck intensely. I don't know why they couldn't do a better job on this. You know, I, I know that they had limited artwork to work from, but when all you can see of the image is this blurry, black, blobby stuff instead of pencils and inks and then the color overlaid on top of it it's like come on you guys could have done better you knew that people were going to buy these because they didn't want to look at their original issues anymore like me so I'm, I'm still very disappointed that they couldn't do a better job it's also interesting that um, that problem seems to be specific to the Barry Smith art because the Gil Kane stuff reproduces exactly right if I can manage it I'm going to try to dig out couple of issues of my own and scan in the panels for comparison so we can see what the originals look like as opposed to this. They're in boxes in my garage, so I have to find them, and then I have to put my gloves on, and then I have to put them on the scanner. But I'd like to put that up so everybody can see the difference. So uh, maybe I will pick up Volume 4 at Comic-Con, but I will be getting it soon, and then we will continue our adventures in Conan Land. to stop drinking caffeinated beverages while I'm doing this. This happened on my other podcast, the Star Trek one. My my partner over there, JK, and I were drinking Diet Cokes, and we were talking like a mile a minute. It was embarrassing. The next thing I want to talk about, um, and I, I know this is a little late because all the people who would probably care about this are already at Comic-Con, but, you know, what the hell, I'll talk about it anyway, because this is good advice for all cons. Comic-Con is like you can't even believe how big it is. And this is going to be my third or fourth year going. I can't even remember. So here are some helpful, handy tips when you go to comic conventions or, in fact, um, any kind of conventions, Star Trek cons or whatever. The first thing is that you should wear comfortable shoes because you're going to be walking a lot everywhere. Um, you should bring a backpack. This was something that I did not realize the first year. You pick up so much shit when you're there, like free stuff and stuff that you buy and things that you trade with other people. If you use one of those flimsy plastic bags that they give you, you will end up with a torn rotator cuff. Your arms are going to be ripped off your body. Bring a backpack, and that way you can put everything in it, you can walk around in it, and not feel like you're just dragging lead weights at the end of your hands. Really, this is important. You should bring bottled water with you, because water and everything else that you buy to eat is really expensive inside any con that you go to and if you bring a bottle you can fill it up at the water fountain expect the lines for the food to be really long so I would advise bringing lots of snacks with you so you don't pass out um, snacks are also really good because you can use them to curry favor 
with the people at the booths. You know, imagine those guys at the booths. They've been sitting there all damn day long, and they're tired, and they're probably hot or thirsty. If you bring them things, they will be so nice to you. Um, one year, I can't even remember if it was Comic-Con or, or the WonderCon or whatever, Alternative Press Expo, We Ginger and I ended up doing coffee runs for some of the artists, and th- we were golden. They were giving us stuff. They were like, here, take this comic and take this and take this. Oh, my God, you saved my life just because we brought them big Starbucks lattes. So there's a tip for you. There's a way to get yourself ingratiated. Bring them stuff, food and drink. They will really enjoy it. I wouldn't really recommend dressing up. In fact, the more I thought about this on the plane, I don't really get why people dress up at cons. Now, I know at most big cons there's a masquerade where you want to dress up and you want to look cool and there's contests and stuff like that. But in general, to dress up at a con, unless you have a reason to, so like at one Star Trek con, there were a bunch of people dressed like Klingons because they were the security. And I got to say, they weren't very good security. And I said that to one of them online, that real Klingons would probably eat them for lunch. And they didn't like that, but that's okay. I don't care. Uh, the whole dressing up thing, I just don't get it. Um, if your costume is badly made, you're going to look kind of dumb. If it's well made, people will probably admire it, but you will be so uncomfortable. That's the thing. At, at Comic-Con every year, I see people who are dressed up and they look cool and stuff, but man, how can you enjoy a con when you're wearing armor or a, a you know a skimpy outfit? I always see these girls who are wearing you know sort of faux Vampirella-like outfits, and they've got these spike heels, and I'm thinking... You couldn't pay me to walk around in heels like that all day long or to have your body painted. It must just be so incredibly uncomfortable. So if anybody understands why people do this, let me know because I'd kind of like to understand it. There are also at Comic-Con the Renaissance Fair people. And they're there every year, and I see them, and they're dressed up in their, you know, sort of Elizabethan outfits. And again, they look really cool. Don't quite understand why they're doing it, unless they're shilling for the booths where you can actually buy the swords, because those people are there too. You can get your shields and little daggers and things, which is cool. But yeah, I I don't really get the dressing up. Um, Speaking of how you should dress, you should dress comfortably and probably lightly because it does get very hot in the hall and if you're walking around all day I mean honestly I think last year we must have walked up and down that hall which is the size of um, something like six or seven football fields and I think I I lost like 10 pounds just walking around up and down up and down so you want to be comfortable Um, you know bring lots of money because you are going to spend money on things take breaks have watches this is really incredibly important if you're going with a group of people make sure everybody has a watch And further, make sure they're all set to the right time. So when you tell somebody, I'm going to meet you at a certain place at a certain time, you both actually end up showing up at the same time. That's a smart thing to do. And I I think the most important thing is mentally be prepared because you will not get to do everything that you want to do. There's just no way you can ever see all the people and visit all the booths and see all the panels, especially at Comic-Con, even at Ape, where they had some stuff running simultaneously. You're just never going to be able to see everything. So prioritize and say, this is the thing that I have to see, that I I will kill people if I don't get to see it, and then have it all follow from there. And if you do all those things, you will have a really, really good time because it's a fun, fun place to be. as a little add-on to this, uh, I don't want to get back into the whole alpha monkey thing again because, oh boy, do you find lots of them at cons. But I will add one important thing. Um, I should have mentioned in my little rant about that that there are women who are alpha monkeys too. 
there are lots of them. And one of the biggest ones I know is in Trek fandom right now. And she's horrible. She just relentlessly beats people down until they give up and stop fighting. They don't accept her point of view, but they just get so tired of arguing with her. There's really no point in it. So, yeah, there are female alpha monkeys, and I hate them just as much as the guys. Um, Probably the biggest female alpha monkey who's not a geek. Well, she is a geek, but Camille Paglia, she is an alpha monkey. She just shouts louder and longer than anybody else until they shut up and don't want to argue with her anymore. So um, there we go, just so that you know. Last up, the last thing I want to talk about is this thing called red versus blue. So like six months ago, I was on a plane and I was flying back from L.A. from some business thing. And I was sitting with my um, geek co-worker friend and we were just chatting about geek things. And I was telling him how much I liked Alien versus Predator. And then we started talking about the jib jab things and the uh, Badger song and uh, the Llama song and all that stuff and how cool we thought all this this internet creativity was. There's a guy sitting on the other side of me who was kind of listening, and eventually he kind of tapped me on the shoulder and said, so you guys like that stuff? And we said, yeah. And he said, do you know about red versus blue? And I said, no, what is red versus blue? So he told me. And this is the way he explained it, which was exactly right. These people who have incredible abundant creativity and humor took the the way Halo looks, so there's a game that Microsoft makes called Halo, which is just a first-person shooter game, and there's a red team and a blue team, and the object is for one side to capture the flag of the other, and basically you just blow people up and get to shoot a lot. It's really fun. And they notice that when you're playing the game, when other characters move a little bit, it looks like they're talking. Their heads are moving in a way that looks like they're actually talking. So they thought, what a great idea. Let's just do this, have little movies, and make up our own dialogue for it. And that's what they did. And they're now at episode number... 59 or something like that. It's their third season. They keep making them. Each episode is about three to four minutes long, and they're really, really funny. They have a cast of characters, some guest characters occasionally. There's sort of a plot, but all sorts of really crazy things happen. But the best part is just watching these guys, and of course you can't see their faces because the masks that they wear completely cover their faces. The only way you can tell them apart is by the color of their armor and their voices, because their voices are very different. So you just need to pay attention when you're watching it. If you really need to know who everybody is, you can go over to Wikipedia and look it up, and they'll give you a whole cast of characters. In fact, I was looking at Wikipedia to get a little more information, and according to Wikipedia, this thing that it is, the way it's made, is is called um, machinima. And it's a made-up word from machine cinema, or maybe machine and animation. I think it's a horrible word, and I'm not going to use it because I think it's stupid. I know what they're trying to do, but it's a dumb word. 
don't use it. Um, and I'll just read you what it says. As a production technique, the term concerns the rendering of computer-generated imagery using low-end 3D engines. The rendering can be done in real time using PCs, which is how they do it. So they're just using this rendering technique on their own PCs. So I encourage you to go and check out a couple of episodes. You don't have to go all the way back to the beginning. It doesn't matter. They're so short, you could probably watch you know, 10 of them and just laugh at the funny stuff that happens in there. And I wanted to give you all a sample of what it was like. So I found one special episode that they make, um, which is called Real Life Versus the Internet. And this was made, they call it a public service announcement. And they, they made it because there was a festival of web animation stuff in New York. And this was the little introductory thing that they showed before it started. So I'm going to play the audio for you because it's very funny on its own. There are some intertitles. Um, which I will read very quickly as it goes by, or otherwise you won't get what they're saying. So I'll, I'll just be putting my two cents in there. But it's really, really pretty funny. I will put a link in the blog to it also. Hi, my name is Private Church from the popular web series Red vs. Blue. Welcome to the New York Video Festival's Wild Wild Web Program. I would just like to say that we did not help come up with that name. Griff? Seriously, dude. Why not just call it the Incredible Edible Internet? Shut up. You're going to get us fired. Fine. We realize that a lot of you are here tonight because you've never heard of this crazy thing called the Internet. If you or someone you know is thinking about using the Internet, we've prepared the following primer to teach you how the Internet is different from the real world. Meeting new people, real life. Wow, it was, it was really great to meet you. It was really great to meet you, too. Would you mind if I called you later? Sure. The Internet. So, big boy, I'm... You're from... not a girl. What? Of course I am! A real girl? Who's a girl? I like girls! Shut up, you! Yes, I am really a girl. Hee hee hee. Send me naked pictures. Okay. I love Angelina Jolie! Does anyone else like Angelina Jolie? She's got enormous lips! Checking your mail, real life. Bills, bills, bills. Coupon. Great. Internet. Pardon me, my friend, but I am Nigerian royalty, and I need you to send me money. Please ignore the fact that I can't spell Nigeria or royalty. Would you like to refinance your home? Mortgage rates have never been lower. Hey, church, we have all the filthiest sluts on the internet. They're hopped up on herbal Viagra and waiting for you. Would you like a bigger penis? Where would you like it? I could suggest some places. You could put it in escrow. Going shopping, real life. Twelve ninety nine for that Creed CD, please. Here you go. Have a nice day. Internet. Does anyone have the new Creed CD? I have it. Give it to me right now. Give it to you? Why would I do that? You're not giving it to me! Give it to me faster! Wait, that's illegal. No, it isn't. I don't want it to be illegal. Therefore, it isn't. That's the way it works. Creed sucks! I hate you! And I hate the bands you like! Partying with friends, real life. This is a great party! Yeah! Woo! Alright! Internet. Hey, where is everybody? I guess they're all masturbating. Oh. Right. Well, I'll see you later, dude. I'm going to go masturbate. Okay. See ya. Discussing politics. Real Look, life. That's just the way I feel about it. Well, I disagree, but I respect your opinion. Internet. You deserve to die! Die and go to hell and burn! Oh, yeah? Well, I hope you get raped! Twice! Maybe then you'll feel different! Jerk! We don't need to find any weapons of mass destruction. We just need to want to find them. That's the way it works! I voted for Nader! I hate everyone! Would you like to change your homepage to moveon.org? Politics makes me so horny. Check out my webcam pick at presidentialslut.com. So just remember, 
The internet can be a very scary place if you're not prepared. How do you recommend they prepare? I don't know. Try going to your local middle school chess club. Hand out crystal meth and guns. That might be a good practice. Thanks for watching, everybody. Now let's all go home and masturbate, Griff. <laughs> I love that. PresidentialSluts.com. It's much funnier when you see it, but I thought that that was pretty good. So go and check it out. You'll, you'll be glad you did. I think that's it for this time. I did want to respond to one comment that I got at the blog at iReadComics.blogspot.com, which was some very nice person saying, Gosh, all this time I was told that you should call women women and not girls, and here you are calling yourself a girl. What's up with that? Well, here's what's up with that. It's okay to use girl until the female in question is probably 18 years old, and then after that you really should stick with women. Women are allowed to call each other girls. It's an in-group thing. It's kind of the way black people are allowed to call each other the N-word, and gay people are allowed to call each other the F-word. It's okay if you're in the group, not okay if you're out of the group. And I would stay away from the word chick entirely, um, unless you're Gary Lockwood, in which case it's okay to call women chicks. He called me a chick, and I actually thought that was pretty cool. So, um... That's it for this show. We'll be back next time with more fun stuff. And right now, it's goodbye, Dallas, and hello, San Diego.